This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Happy birthday. Willie Mays is 90 years old today, the oldest living baseball Hall of Famer. Turns 90 today, played 20 of his 22 years with the Giants, starting out with the New York Giants and the Polo Grounds, of course, moving to San Francisco. His last couple of years uh, played with the New York Mets. 660 career home runs, 302 career hitter, a guy who only ever struck out 100 times once in his career. And by the way, the year he struck out 100 times, I think he struck out like 112 times. He also walked 100 times that year. He had an on-base percentage of 425. I'll tell you what, all these strikeouts that we have in Major League Baseball now, if guys had an on-base percentage of 400, nobody would say boo about striking out 200 times a season if you were still getting on base. <laughs> I mean, but yet, you know, you have guys like uh, Aaron Judge last night for the New York Yankees who struck out five times in the game against Houston last night. Yankees still won the game, but Aaron Judge struck out five times. He left a small village on base last night. I mean, you know, so uh, Willie was, in many minds, uh, the greatest to ever play the game. I still go with Babe Ruth. I did not see Babe Ruth play, and I only saw Willie Mays play um, the last few years of his career. I was just, I was too young. I remember him, his last few years in San Francisco, and then, of course, uh, in my teenage years, he was with the Mets, retired in 1973, um, but so I only remember the end of his career, but, uh, you look at the numbers and I always say Babe Ruth, but it's, it's hard to argue people that say Willie Mays was the greatest that catch that you see time and time again in the polo grounds that, uh, running away from home plate, he must've been 500 feet away. The polo grounds, if you remember the pictures of it, uh, center field was like, uh, you know, another zip code away and he made an incredible catch, uh, there that you've seen millions of times. So happy birthday, uh, to Willie Mays. Surprise, before we get to baseball from last night, a bit of a surprise. Oh, by the way, we also have Sam Doster is coming up at 9.30 this morning. We're going to talk about that super golf league uh, that has been proposed uh, by Saudi Arabia. They're trying to throw a bunch of money at some PGA players to get them to defect from the PGA Tour. So we're going to talk to Sam, who's the communications director of the Connecticut State Golf Association, about that coming up at 9.30. Uh, but before I get to the Red Sox game from last night, I wanted to talk this morning. Word came down that the New York Rangers fired their president, John Davidson, yesterday, along with general manager Jeff Gorton, with three games left in the season. Now, the Rangers aren't going to make the playoffs. Um, they currently sit uh, just behind the Boston Bruins, so they're not going to make the playoffs, but this team is loaded with young players, and their future is very, very bright. John Davidson and Jeff Gorton, 
since they teamed up with the Rangers, have built a great young roster. They just uh, uh, won the draft lottery and uh, to select Alex Lafreniere with the top pick. They're, they're going to be fifth in an eight-team East division. You know, and the top of the division is loaded, but this team is going to be good for a while, and those two guys built this, and now they're not going to be there to – uh, reap the fruits of their labor, which I think is unfortunate. Now, Chris Drury, good guy from Trumbull, Connecticut, is going to be the new uh, general manager and president. He's going to have both titles where it was split up between J.D. and Jeff Gordon. Uh, Drury is an up-and-comer. A lot of people like him and think that he's going to be a great executive in the league. Um, but I just thought that this was odd. And a lot of people are wondering, myself included, if this firing had to do with the statement that was put out by the Rangers after the whole Tom Wilson debacle when Tom Wilson didn't get suspended after his thuggery in that game uh, earlier in the week. I mean, where it was outright assault. And the Rangers put out a team statement basically saying that the guy that is the head of a player safety in the NHL is incompetent and should be fired. And, I mean, it was a very strongly worded statement. You have to think that came from John Davidson and Jeff Gorton. And so, you know, the question is, is whether James Dolan, the owner, decided that he needed to do some damage control with the league office by getting rid of those guys. I suspect that there is a tie. I don't think anybody will ever admit it. But I would be shocked if there isn't some kind of tie-in with that. And, you know, we'll probably hear more about it from one of those guys at some point. They'll, uh, uh, they'll let us know. But I would be surprised if it didn't. And last night in that game between the Rangers and the Capitals, as you knew was going to happen, there were fights. Well, the fights happened literally on the opening faceoff. The puck got dropped, and the two guys that took the, <laughs> took the opening drop uh, went at it. There were three fights simultaneously at the opening faceoff. Uh, there were a few more during the game. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But you knew it was going to happen. If the NHL wasn't going to take care of it, there was going to be some frontier justice, and the Rangers uh, let the Capitals have it. And, you know, the NHL has only themselves to blame. Uh, and, and, by the way, where's the, where is the NHL at? They actually had a stat for this. It's the first time in the history of the NHL that had, there had been six fights in the first five minutes. They actually kept track of that somewhere. That's unbelievable. But, uh, again, I think, uh, unfortunately, I think J.D. And, uh, and Gordon lost their jobs because of that statement. And uh, if that's the case, uh, Dolan is a gutless idiot uh, because they were absolutely right. The NHL should have been embarrassed by, by what they did. All right, the Red Sox last night lost a tough one. And uh, it looked like they were finally waking up J.D. Martinez with a big home run to tie the game at three, all of a sudden you're feeling good about things. It looks like maybe the Sox are going to pull this one out where Casey Mize, the number one draft pick in 2018 by the Tigers, uh, just baffled the Red Sox for six innings. He only gave up three hits. Now, he did walk four guys, but he gave up just three hits, one run. The Red Sox scored a run uh, in the second inning without the benefit of a hit. Um, and, uh, you know, then J.D. hits that home run. Uh, to tie the game up in the seventh inning, and you're thinking, all right, things are going to be fine. Uh, Red Sox go to the bullpen, 
And Adovino gets him out of the eighth. Matt Barnes strikes out the side in the ninth as he continues to be otherworldly this year. And then Garrett Whitlock comes in for extra innings. And the thing was, is this game almost didn't go to extra innings. The Red Sox loaded the bases uh, against Soto in the ninth inning. And then Xander Bogarts hit one absolutely right on the screws. And it looked like it was going to be over. The ball was sinking. And then suddenly, Robbie Grossman's there and uh, gets it, makes a sliding catch to end the inning. We go to extras. And, you know, look, I have said that I've come around on the whole guy starting at second base thing. And I'm still okay with it. I mean, I wish they'd go back to the old way, but I'm okay with it because games aren't taken forever. So I'm, I'm okay with it. But this was a tough one last night for Whitlock. And, and here's why. Nico Goodrum put on a hell of an at-bat against Whitlock last night. Whitlock did everything he could to try to get this guy out, and uh, Goodrum fouled off a bunch of pitches, and the one that blooped in was literally like off the end of the bat and just fell in front of the right fielder. It was a ball that perhaps could have been played. Now, if uh, or could have been caught if, if he gets a better jump on it, but it was tough because it was raining, you know, so he didn't get the greatest break on the ball. It falls in, and uh, so now you've got runners on first and third because the runner at second had to make sure it wasn't going to be caught. And then J. Mark Candelario, the first pitch he saw from Whitlock, just drilled it for a three-run blast, and that was the ball game. The Red Sox tried to make a run uh, in the bottom of the ninth. They did end up scoring a couple of runs. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez... Uh, with an RBI single in that inning. Um, and then uh, uh, Michael Fulmer came on, and uh, defense let him down on a Hunter Renfro grounder, misplayed a ball, and another run scores. But then he gets Bobby Dahlbeck to line out. Boy, Dahlbeck is in a uh, funk and a half. Came on as a, a pinch hitter last night. Ended up striking out twice in three at-bats. Just brutal. And then... Got uh, Kike Hernandez on a 97-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle, and that was that. Tough loss for Boston to a team that was 8-22 and going into the night. You're Boston. You see what's going on in the American League East. Everybody's starting to get hot, which has got to make you nervous, and you lose that game. That's a tough one to lose. Um, you know, especially considering Martin Perez did not pitch badly last night, five and two thirds innings. He got into the six, only gave up two earned runs, six hits, uh, you know, struck out six pitched pretty well, deserved better. No question. Um, and, and Whitlock, his last couple of times out has been hit a little bit, but look, he'd been, uh, he pitched the first, what, 13 and two thirds innings this year without giving up anything. So you knew they were going to get to him eventually, and Candelario just absolutely crushed that ball last night. So 1 o'clock game this afternoon, and Nate Evaldi, who was your opening day starter, needs to get this one. And uh, there aren't many games this early in the season where you can say this is a must-win. This is a must-win. You just lost three out of four to the Texas Rangers, a team that is below 500. Detroit came in to the game last night having lost six in a row. They're 9-22. and 22. You cannot lose a series to a team that is that bad, that hit 199 in the month of April. You cannot 
lose this series. This is an absolute must win today for Boston, period. Nate Evaldi has got to step up today. Has to. Uh, the Red Sox will be without Christian Arroyo today. He got hit on the hand last night again in the same spot he had been hit in before. Do not be surprised if he goes to the IL today. There, now, the x-rays were negative, but it was pretty sore, and he was hurting. And this might be an opportunity for the Red Sox to go get Michael Chavis and bring him up to Boston, throw him at first base, give Bobby Dahlbeck some time off, Dahlbeck is hitting 183, uh, you know, couldn't hit water if he fell out of a rowboat. Maybe this is the time you can make a move. Chavis can play second. He can play first. Arroyo has been really good, but if he's banged up, give him some time on the IL to get that better and get the, and get Chavis up here. Just uh, my opinion. Uh, Chavis played for Worcester and uh, had a double in last night's game. Maybe, you know, maybe, and he had a great spring. I thought he should have made the team out of spring. I get why they wanted to uh, to go in a different direction. And frankly, the way Arroyo's played, he's justified the move that the Red Sox made. But maybe this is an opportunity here uh, to get Chavis some at-bats up in the major leagues, give Dahlback some time off. You know, maybe, frankly, you know, maybe it's just time to send Dahlback down. They've started AAA play. Maybe he needs to go down there and get himself right. You know, he's dug himself a really big hole up here, and it's hard when you're a rookie uh, to get to get things right on the major league level. So maybe the best thing right now for him would be to go down anyway. But we'll see if the Red Sox uh, think about making a move. But you've got to win tonight because you then go down to Baltimore for a weekend series. Again, another team that's under 500 that swept you at home to start the season. You have got to go down there and win that series as well. Otherwise... You know, Red Sox fans aren't real happy with the way things are going now. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Things could go south in a hurry if you can't win games against teams that are under 500. And then, oh, by the way, uh, you've got to play the Oakland Athletics coming up pretty soon. So, you know, you need to, you need to take care of business with Detroit today and then Baltimore over the weekend. And speaking of Baltimore, and I guess the good news for Boston is you won't have to see John Means this weekend. Means threw a no-hitter yesterday for the Orioles. They beat the Mariners 6-0. This was a Mariners team that came in uh, with a really good record, and Means struck out 12, didn't walk anybody. The only thing keeping him from a perfect game was a strikeout wild pitch that allowed a guy to reach first base. That happened in the third inning. That's the only thing that stood in the way of a perfect game. He was ridiculous. And thank God, you know, and thank God for the Major League Baseball package, uh, MLB TV. I was able to watch uh, the last few innings when I saw he had the no hitter. I was able to turn it on. But Means now is four and ERA of one point three seven. And by the way, he became the first uh, pitcher to throw a complete game no hitter since Jim Palmer, all the way back in nineteen sixty nine, when he no hit the Oakland Athletics. They had one other one in the meantime, but it was one of those uh, combined no hitters. Those don't count. So the first uh, complete game no-hitter in over 50 years for the Baltimore Orioles. And by the way, it's the third no-hitter already this season. First time since 1969 there's been three complete game no-hitters this early in the season. So, uh, But again, the, 
the upside here is that they they don't get to see. Oh, you know what? Maybe they do now that I think about this. Now that I think about this, because that's a four-game series, and Baltimore starts on Friday. It's a wraparound series. I think it goes until Monday. So it is very possible they might see John Means in that last game. I hope I'm wrong. But now that I think about it, that might be possible. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Um, the Yankees win again. And uh, they have now won five in a row. They are over 500 for the first time this season. They are a game and a half behind the Boston Red Sox. Here they come, folks. We knew it was only a matter of time. But the Yankees have gotten themselves squared away. Uh, John Carlos Stanton has been a one-man wrecking crew. Uh, last night, another home run. Four runs batted in. Uh, he has something like uh, 17 hits in his last six games. Think about that for a minute. 17 hits in six games. You're averaging almost three hits a game. He was hitting 205. He's now hitting 314. Not a good sign if you're a Red Sox fan. Again, as I said, Aaron Judge 0 for 5, 5 Ks last night. Uh, Gary Sanchez got a start last night as they gave Higashioka the night off. Sanchez went 0 for 2 with another strikeout. Got his batting average down uh, to 175 as he continues to bury himself uh, on the Yankee uh, depth chart. Uh, but uh, Jordan Montgomery, a solid start for the Yankees, gets a no decision because the Yankees won it late with three runs in the bottom of the eighth inning. Uh, Aroldis Chapman picks up his seventh save of the year last night. He struck out two guys in the ninth, ninth inning. Get this, and I, I think I talk about this every time the guy pitches. He's gotten 33 outs this season, so the equivalent of 11 innings. 33 outs. He has struck out 26 of those 33 outs. He's allowed just two hits and three walks in those innings. I mean, you know, we want to talk about how great Matt Barnes has been. I mean, Aroldis Chapman has just been absolutely uh, ridiculous. Uh, so they will finish up that series this afternoon. Uh, Garrett Cole will get the start for the Yankees, so the chance of winning six in a row has gone up considerably, although Lance McCullers will get the start for Oakland, he's 2-1 with a 3-3-8. So that game will be this afternoon as well. So a lot of afternoon baseball today. And the other thing coming for the Yankees very quickly, Luke Voigt is probably going to be activated for the Yankees um, over the weekend. He had two more hits yesterday, including a two-run homer uh, with his on his second rehab start with Scranton. He had four hit, uh, two hits in the first game and now two hits in the second game. Uh, he looks like he's just fine, so he is going to be joining the big club perhaps as early as this weekend. So uh, the rich are going to get uh, even richer. Uh, the Blue Jays, with a win yesterday, they beat the Oakland Athletics 9-4. to um, You know, the A's have been really good. Their bullpen has been really good. Uh, Chris Bassett got the start and only gave up two runs and six hits in seven innings. But then Alex Trevino came on and gave up five runs. He walked two guys, gave up three hits, ended up getting charged with five runs in a third of an inning. As uh, the Rays come back to win it late, they score five times in the eighth and two times in the ninth off the Oakland bullpen. And uh, they win it 9-4. to four. Robbie Ray, another solid start for Toronto, ends up with a no decision. Uh, but uh, it was his third straight strong outing in a row. Uh, for the Blue Jays, but again, 
that American League East suddenly getting very, very tight. Toronto just two games back. And uh, Toronto, by the way, leaving uh, Dunedin, Florida as of June 1st. They're going to return to Buffalo and finish their uh, uh, home schedule or until Toronto says they can come back to Canada. They're going to play in Buffalo starting June 1st. And you can't blame them. Uh, you know, they're playing in Dunedin, Florida for their home games right now, but they do not want to play down there in July. Can you imagine what it would be like playing outdoors in that spring training facility in July and August in Florida? Oh, it'd be deadly. So they will be in Buffalo starting on June 1st. Uh, the Rays with a win yesterday. So uh, they are now also just a game and a half behind the Red Sox. They beat the Angels yesterday 3-1. to one. Shohei Otani got the start for the Angels. He only gave up one hit in five innings, but he walked six. Um, but uh, Toronto, or excuse me, uh, Tampa finally got uh, some runs off the bullpen. They scored three times in the seventh inning off Junior Guerra, and uh, they end up winning it 3-1. to one. It was a bullpen game for Toronto, or why can't you keep saying Toronto, for Tampa in this one. Uh, Andrew Kittredge got the start, went the first two. Ryan Yarborough pitched the next four. He ends up getting the win. Uh, so that is a, another win for the Rays as they are now over 500. So the American League East is coming. Uh, the Dodgers lost again yesterday. They are in an absolute free fall. They lose in 11 innings to the Cubs, 6-5. to five. This Dodger team has now lost three in a row, eight of the last ten. They're still over 500, just two games over 500. Uh, and they are now a game and a half behind San Francisco uh, and a game behind San Diego, who sits in second place in that National League West. But, boy, uh, it has been uh, brutal for them lately. And they got, look, they got a solid start from Walker Bueller. I mean, Clayton Kershaw, who had lasted just an inning, uh, in the game, uh, in the doubleheader the day before. But uh, Walker Bueller kind of helped things out a little bit, uh, went deep, struck out eight, didn't issue a walk, but uh, they got to the bullpen, and uh, they end up winning it on an RBI single by Anthony Rizzo uh, in the 11th inning. Uh, and then uh, the Chicago White Sox lose yesterday, and uh, Tony La is getting a lot of heat. It's almost like people are looking for an excuse to say, ah, La is too old, he shouldn't be managing. Well, th with this extra inning rule where a guy starts on second base, there is a caveat to that, that if the pitcher's spot is the one that should be the runner on second base to start an inning, you don't have to use the pitcher. You can use the guy that made the out before that. Well, Larusa wasn't aware of the rule, so uh, he ended up doing a double switch and you know ends up with uh, Hendricks starting on second base the rule got explained to him later. It, whether it cost them, you know, the loss or not, they're they're kind of pointing to that and say, well, you know, he's out of touch. Uh, even if the players weren't even sure. I mean, Dallas Keuchel said at the end, he said, look, he said, uh, you know, he said, I had no idea. He said, you know, there's a lot of there was a lot of weird stuff happening in the game, and he said it's one of those things where, you know, the rule book is you know really long and. These rule changes that have happened in the last couple of years, he said, not, it's not just Tony Larusa. A lot of managers are struggling with these new rules about exactly uh, how they play out. But again, look, Tony Larusa is not a dope. I'm sorry, you say what you want, but at 76 years old, he hasn't forgotten how to manage. And you know they've given him some heat. Well, you know he left a couple of starting pitchers in too long. Yeah, he's an old school guy, which I'm okay with. But you know, stop. You know, Tony Larusa is not too old. 
You know, if he starts making lineup mistakes, you know, like that, uh, or not like that, but makes lineup mistakes, like, you know, puts guys in the lineup that shouldn't be there or, you know, starts doing things that looks like he's maybe uh, uh, losing it, all right, then talk. But uh, something like this on an extra innings rule that, that probably half the managers in baseball don't know the rule uh, or aren't clear on the rule, give him a, give him a break. It's ridiculous. It's 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Sam Dostler is going to join us to talk about the upcoming uh, or the proposed Super Golf League. Not sure if it's going to get off the ground, but uh, we'll talk to him about that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. It is 33 minutes past the hour, and uh, we are pleased to be joined by Sam Dossler, the Communications Director of the Connecticut State Golf Association, and uh, we bring Sam on uh, to talk golf throughout the year, and this is kind of an odd one, Sam, where all of a sudden there's some momentum seems to be picking up, or at least just more chatter, about this proposed super golf league that uh, some people from Saudi Arabia are trying to pull off. Uh, my first question to you is this: What, what kind? Other than money, is there any benefit to a PGA Tour player getting involved in something like this, or is this just as Rory McIlroy said, a flat-out money grab? You know, it, it's it's hard to really say right now what the advantage is, other than money, and of course, thirty million dollars, which is what's been reportedly offered to a lot of these. Time players is, is certainly nothing to uh, frown at, but uh, as far as what TV packages will look like, where the the tournaments will be held, uh, what kind of exposure they're going to get, it's it's really in everything that I've read and heard. There's really no answers to that. I know they're talking about a five tournament schedule in 2022 and trying to introduce a team aspect. As long, uh, in addition to the, the regular stroke play. But I, I don't see, other than the money, which is certainly a significant factor, other than that, I don't see how, uh, what what a player gains by doing it. Like, are they going to be going off and playing these obscure courses and uh, obscure parts of the world, and they're going to be at off hours for their a large amount of the, the TV viewing audience, just to throw a name out of there. I know Dustin Johnson's been made an offer and um, he hasn't made a comment either way about it. Uh, but they go, Dustin Johnson, very popular in the U S goes, takes the money, plays in these tournaments, but they're played in Abu Dhabi right. uh, and it's 3 AM in the U S. So no one's watching that. So I, I'm not really sure what the, the benefit would be other than, you get to cash that $30 million uh, <laughs> check, which is, you know, great. But I mean, I, it, it's, yeah, th- those are the questions that are left out there still. I mean, Tiger had a history, you know, in his younger days of kind of doing some globe trotting and taking appearance money to play at bizarre places. So it's not unheard of, but the difference for him was it was kind of more like an exhibition as opposed to being, uh, something where it's a serious commitment. This is, this is not that, uh, I will say this. The one thing that intrigued me about the idea was the team format. I kind of, I, you know, I kind of thought that was, you know, and maybe, and maybe this is something at the end of the day, if this does fall through, like the super, uh, soccer league fell through, 
and when you know people realize this was just a money grab and it didn't happen, maybe the PGA will look at some of that and say, well, maybe you know maybe there's some benefit at some point. I mean, I know they have somewhere you have teams where of two people, but maybe they'll think you know maybe down the road maybe we have a four man team concept for some other uh, tournament. So maybe the PGA can take something away from this. Yeah, and and I think they have to, not so much on the team aspect, at least here. And I know I was listening to some talk about the team aspect before I move on to my other point. Uh, they the, the the problem with the team aspect is that first off, you need all the guys to play in the same event, right? You need guys to play for the team aspect to work. You would need everyone to play in the same event, whether right. maybe you say you, you you have one each quarter of the season. But then there's also the aspect of, and and we know this very much so living in Connecticut with the Travelers Championship. Although the Travelers Championship isn't the most important tournament on the schedule, it is our Super Bowl in Connecticut. It is the biggest deal. Right. You know, it, it doesn't rival the Masters, the U.S. Open, uh, any of the World Golf Championships. But in Connecticut, and really in the New England region, because now with the tournament at TPC Boston being every other year, flipping off with with the tournament and location in new york it's really the only consistent pga tour event in new england so it's a big deal do we want to do these tournaments want to change the format and and change the vibe around it so that's that's the that's the question because then you're bringing you, you change what how sponsors might look at it uh do does it change the money that goes into local charities and whatnot and, and we know how important the travelers is to local charities in the state and, and that's not anything different around the rest of the country. The PGA tour has reacted to the premier golf league. They introduced the uh, $40 million pot recently. That's going to be given to the 10 most popular players on tour through social media and various things. So that's not an appearance fee per se, right? but you're going to see some of these top players start to get a little bit of a, of an extra, sidekick in of of money in addition to the money they make each week in addition to their sponsorships in addition to what they can make with the fedex cup so that is a, a response that the pga tour has had and it was interesting with the timing of it, it that that report came out just a couple of weeks before this recent uh resurgence of the premier golf league which was a big deal early in 2000 then kind of petered out in about it kind of petered out like everything else in the world when when COVID kicked up and right. now recycling uh, and coming back into the forefront of everyone's mind just a couple of days ago. Well, you know what's interesting? You you bring up that uh, that they're calling it. I think they call it the Player Impact Program or something. Yeah, that forty yep. million dollar pool. What's interesting about this, and it's going to be based on the Q rating, which is this thing based on your social media presence and I guess just visibility overall. This is a very slippery slope, and you know as well as I do, Sam, uh, how how tricky things can get with social media. If you know mm-hmm. you're now encouraging your players uh, to interact, perhaps a little more on social media than they had in the past, if they want to be involved in this, well, that opens the door for some things that could be embarrassing, not just to the player, but to the PGA Tour as well. So, uh, you know, that's I mean, be careful what you wish for here. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. It's, it, it is interesting and it, and it might not even end up being to the other side of it is Ricky Fowler is, is a super popular player, but right. he has not played well at all in the last couple of years. So does someone like Ricky Fowler end up getting some of that money or uh, 
a lesser known player like Max Homo, who's really, really popular on, on Twitter and social media. Um, but maybe someone like Dustin Johnson isn't as active or Rory McIlroy. They're not as active on social media. And those are just picking names of some of the top players. Um, no inside information on that, but it, it's going to be interesting. Will the money really go where the tour sees it going? Or will it be more like uh, a journeyman pro who who is very active on social media which as 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 most people know people make a huge living on social media social media influencers instagram right. uh there's a lot of money to be had if, if you do it the right way so is it going to be some 24 year old who is just on the pga tour who makes a big move i don't know it's going to be well, interesting to see how that but i think by, on, from the pga tour standpoint i think it's a good move in the right direction because the tour is popular because of its players. Social media is a huge aspect of the players connecting with people. So it's, it, and I think it's a good response. They needed to make some sort of response uh, to the premier golf league to sort of push it off a little bit. Um, you know, and, and I don't know that you have an answer to this, but, but I'm going to throw it out here anyway. One of the things that to me has always been interesting about the PGA tour is that guys aren't required other than that you have to g- compete in a minimum number of events to keep your uh, your card, there's no, you know, like you have to show up at X, Y, and Z. So they've, they're kind of independent contractors in terms of making their own schedule. And yet the PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan has warned guys that if they try to get involved in this Super League, that they're going to face an instant suspension. I mean, they had the meeting at Quail Hollow uh, just before the tournament and said, it's an instant suspension, and it might be a lifetime ban from the tour. If these guys are independent contractors, how and, and all they have to do is play a minimum number of events, how can the PGA Tour ban them for life from this? Yeah, I and this is just speaking just completely off thought. No, no information on this, but I, I think. Part of it is because the PGA Tour is such a powerful um, entity mm-hmm. in itself. I mean, that they they're able to call the shots. They're the premier tour in the world. They've partnered since they've partnered recently with the European Tour, so the two tours are now working together. So, um, I, I think that gives them a big leg to stand on as far as that goes. And. I mean, just just look at the the reaction from the the soccer attempt recently. Ooh, yeah. The 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 United or the UEFA, I believe that's what it is, right? The UEFA they came out and said right. players wouldn't yep. be able to be able, be able to play in the World Cup. Right. Um, and and I think that's similar. I think we're seeing a very similar. That's another thing that I think is fascinating about the timing of the Premier Golf League news coming out is is how closely lined it is to the news that just broke with soccer and the quell up of fans and uh, media about, Oh my goodness, this is the most outrageous thing in the world and how quickly that went away. And now a couple of weeks later, a similar thing in golf, Mike. And, but speaking to the independent contractor side of things, I am curious, you know, of course people are fans of golfers, right? You're, you're a Jordan speed fan. You're a Tiger Woods fan. You're a Phil Mickelson fan. But it's not a team. It's easier to rally as a as a team as a fan of a team to right. sort of say, "Hey, we don't, we do not agree with this new soccer league." But it's 
it's harder in golf because, as my brother says, who isn't a big golf fan, he goes, golf fans are the biggest bandwagon fans there are. You root for whoever's <laughs> winning, right? It's true. You know, it, does, it doesn't matter who's winning the tournament. It could be uh, your least favorite player, Patrick Reed, coming down the final hole, or it could be your favorite player inside your woods. If they chip in uh, for birdie to win on the 72nd hole, you're going to go, you're going to whoop and holler. Right. So there, there's no quell of emotion uh, as far as being able to get behind one single team like in the soccer. So I don't know if that changes kind of the attitude. I don't know. It's uh, I don't know if I really answered your question, I'm, uh, but I think it's just it's the PGA Tour. They're the biggest tour in the world. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of backers. Uh, all these guys have come up through the PGA Tour and have joined the PGA Tour, and uh, they just have that leg to stand on. Yeah, and what I don't know, and to be honest with you, there, there's a possibility. And again, I, I'm not I'm not informed about this, but maybe there's something. Uh, when you get your PGA card, maybe there's some clause in there uh, that that allows them the ability to suspend you at any time. I mean, so I mean, I suppose that that's much like they can, I guess, uh, uh, for a drug violation, you know, something like that. Maybe this is a similar kind of thing where they have that leverage and it's written down somewhere. Maybe and nobody has nobody in any of the media that I've read has come out and said that that's the case. But perhaps that's where their their leg to stand on is, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, it could be. And, and just going back to a point you made earlier about. Uh, Tiger Woods taking appearance fees or, or guys playing in the Saudi Arabia tournament taking appearance fees. Uh, keep in mind that was those were European tour events. That's true. Those were good point. It, it wasn't a random Premier Golf League tour. Or if if guys have gone to Australia to play in the Australian PGA uh, or some of the big tournaments that are typically played in uh, November December in Australia. Those are long established events and long on long established tours. So it's it's not as if they're going off and, and playing some newfound uh, golf tour uh, when, when they when they go and do that. And even Dustin Johnson, when he played and he won in Saudi Arabia this year, um, one of his sponsors I can't remember off the top of my head. I was just reading the article last night. Uh, was not on his shirt. Uh, Might have been RBC. Was not on his shirt. Uh, it was there the you know the tournament before when he played in the states. Not on there when he won in Saudi Arabia. And then when he came back and played his next PGA Tour event, it was back on his shirt. Right. So, and that's that's the same. You're dealing with the same sort of uh, people. Same you know it's, it's Saudi Arabia backed for this. So that was a Saudi Arabia event. So. Uh, there's repercussions in, in that sense as well. Well, and it looks like these guys from Saudi Arabia are not just going to lay down and take no for an answer. They've gone out and they've I put in a huge bid uh, for the to buy the Asian tour, um, you know, and the PGA and the European uh, the European uh, PGA had been involved with doing the same thing, and the and uh, the Saudi Arabians put up like or, or proposed putting up like three or four times what the PGA Tour was going to do. And there's some talk about they may try to buy up some of these smaller tours like the Australian Tour, uh, like the, uh, was it, the Sunshine Tour down in South, South mm -hmm. Africa, that kind of thing. And so maybe they're going to try to find a way in the back door. But it seems like it's an awful big hill to climb. It does. And, and you know, you, you look at that and what good does – so they, they buy those tours, the Asian tour, the Sunshine tour. 
But why? Why I just I can't wrap my head around why Dustin Johnson would want to go and play over there. Right. You're, you're not going to have any eyeballs. It's just going to be essentially you playing golf in the middle of the night. It's it's sort of a <laughs> right. You know, yeah, that's, that's true. That's yeah, what it's going to be. Yeah, he'll just the, the the guys would just fall off the face of the earth and he'll get uh, his money, but nobody will care. Right. Yeah. And maybe that's what they maybe that's what some of these guys want. Uh, but you have to give a guy like Roy McIlroy a lot of credit yep. for stepping up and saying it's a money grab. I know some of the guys that and, – and the other part of it that scra- I scratch my head with is you look at a guy like Phil Mickelson. He's been offered Henrik Stenson, and, and I know Phil didn't outright say I, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, he called it interesting, I think. Right. Yeah. And, but to me, you can't build – a tour on a yeah. guy like Phil Mickelson. Yes, one of the all-time greats, Hall of Famer, five major championships. I've been a Phil Mickelson fan for as long as I can remember since he won the uh, the then Greater Hartford Open. Right. But he's 50, 51 years old now. If right. this is 15 years ago, sure. But Phil Mickelson isn't the draw that he was. He he now He's now the guy on the PGA Tour right around the cut line every week. Yeah, it seems to me that the guys that might be the most interested in this are guys like you just said, maybe guys like Phil or guys that are in their mid to late 40s that don't have a lot of gas left in the tank and their earning potential may be down. They might right. be interested because it's their last chance to get a big payday. Right. Exactly. But and, and that's 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 to me though, but that's not enough to build a quote unquote super tour on. That's not really a no. super tour. That might be the super Geritol tour, but that's about it. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it just doesn't make that doesn't make sense to me. And then how do you how do you reload the tour, right? So how do you how do do, do they have contracts? Do they age out? Do they does the tour just come up to them one day and say so you see ya. say you know what <laughs> it's you know it's been yeah. great for ten years, but we're we're done here. You know, right. we we got we got such and such twenty five year old lined up. He's going to take your spot. Like how how does that work? That's rather mercenary, but that's probably it's probably very that's probably well, what it is outward. Is yeah. The whole the whole thing is kind of mercenary at the at the base level, right? Yeah. You know, it's guys getting offered thirty million dollars to go and play on some different tour. The whole the whole setup is is a is really a from what I can understand a mercenary setup. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this uh, this progresses if it progresses but i have a feeling just based on some of the comments i've seen justin thomas seems to not be interested at all he's like all about winning majors and talking about the history of golf and and some other guys have done the same thing so i kind of have the feeling that this this might be dead in the water but uh, you know i guess we'll see i agree and and, and that's the other aspect we didn't even talk about there's no history with it there's no there's no chase in the majors and uh i i you haven't even, you know, you haven't heard comments yet from the RNA, the USGA, the PGA of America, Augusta National, like um, no Ryder Cup. No, you know, yeah, exactly, no Ryder Cup. So, but you know, you haven't you haven't heard the comments from these other powerful or really the organizations that run golf. I mean, the RNA and the USGA, they're the ones who set the rules of golf. Right. Um, what 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 are their thoughts? And I, I get the feeling that they're waiting to see how far does this progress before they step in, because uh, right now if it's just kind of he said he they said type of deal. Rory said this, Phil said that, Justin Thomas said this. Right. Then they then they don't need to step in if if players start to really seriously think about it. And that's I think when you would see those bodies of golf step in and say. And I have the feeling they would be in line with the PGA Tour where they would say, okay, well, 
that's nice, but you're not going to be able to play in the U.S. Open. Or that's great, you're not going to be able to play at the Masters or the Ryder Cup or, or, or whatever right. whatever it is. So, um, Well, we shall uh, see. Yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting. Well, I, I can't let you get out of here without talking about the Travelers and the fact that the Travelers is going to have fans this year. And how exciting is that? They're going to limit it, I think, to, uh, to 10,000 a day, but still. Uh, considering last year, uh, it's got to be a it's going to be a breath of fresh air to get to back to some semblance of normalcy uh, here in Connecticut this summer. Yeah, it certainly is. I'm really excited. Last year was the first year since since '99 that I hadn't gotten to the <clears throat> to the traveling. Excuse me. So it's really exciting. And, and talking, I was talking with Nathan Group for uh, an article recently with for the uh, Connecticut State Golf Association and. Uh, they're they're thrilled to have fans back on site, and uh, they're they're just really excited about everything that comes with it. And and he really sees it as a transition year. Last year they were the third tournament back. They were really leading the charge as far as sports back in America and really around the world in a lot of regards. And they were just focused on safety and making sure everything was safe for the players. And of course they're still focused on this year, but. Uh, fans back and then hopefully the hope is next year to have everything back up and running as as we've always known it there's going to be some differences fans of course masks while you're out there and um instead of the big air control climate controlled uh corporate tents they're going to be open air and and whatnot but fans back and as, as we all know in Connecticut, it's it's always an exciting tournament, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, Paul Casey and Jason Day have just committed, yep. and uh, they are the eighth and ninth to commit so far. And they've already got Dustin Johnson in the fold, and Brooks Kepka, and Patrick Reed, yep. and Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, it, it it's been voted a number of times as the player's most popular event on tour, which is just amazing. Yeah, they they do a phenomenal job. I'm I'm not really sure what they. Uh, add to the lemonade to make it so successful, especially considering it's the week after the U S open, but it's, it's always a great feel guys love it. And, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a good one again this year. Uh, by the way, uh, one more thing, be, uh, uh, Bryson DeChambeau may have passed Patrick Reed as the most hated player on tour. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I mean, I just think, uh, is it just me, but, or, or is it the, the DeChambeau thing trying to reinvent the game of golf and kind of show everybody that he's smarter than everybody else. It just rubs me the wrong way. Am I wrong? No, it it does. He it's, it's not so much that he's trying to reinvent the, the way golf is played. It's the way he goes about it. Just the, the attitude that he carries with an arrogance almost. Yeah. The arrogance of, of, of how he goes about it. I mean, there was a picture of him in a tournament, I think last year, maybe the year before of, someone was holding a towel to prevent the shadows on the putting green while he was practicing to block the sun. It was, you know, it's just, just some of the things he does are just, yeah. Well, you know, he's one of those guys where, you know, I, I, I was glad he failed at the masters. I know that's terrible, but he, you know, he talked about, you know, what, that's a par 69 for him or something. I I know. You know, I mean, he's just, he's young and he's a dope. I mean, to say things like that, you may think that in your head, but that's just not something you should ever, uh, you know, and as somebody who's a communications director, I'm sure if you were his, uh, his PR guy, you'd be pulling him aside and say, Hey, Hey. Zip it a little bit, will you? Oh, I, I hear you. Yeah, you know, it's it's you know, it's different. It's just, you know, speaking of the difference, it's different from how anyone else 
talks about that place there's so much especially that course there's so much reverence and respect for the course to hear someone come out and, and say something like that was quite stunning and then and then not to back it up with your play right and, and <laughs> right. the other side yeah you know, at least at least go around a couple times and compete first and then you can say it but if you're going out there and uh, not playing all that well and saying that, then it's going to come back to bite you a little bit. Well, Sam, I appreciate you coming on this morning. I know you're heading out to get vaccinated, so congratulations. I got mine, and it, it's, just, it's just like a weight off your shoulders, I think, finally, when you know you're vaccinated and you don't have to worry as much anymore. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait. This is shot number two today, so Perfect. about a half hour. So uh, two weeks from now, we'll be hopefully good to go. All right, well, congratulations. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you in a few weeks, and as we get closer to the Travelers, we'll definitely have you on again. Great. Appreciate it. All right. Sam Doster here on Sports Country Radio. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Darius Rucker. Have Phil Dixie Cup. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.